Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. I am delighted to be here. I am, I've been so looking forward to this weekend with uh, Ipswich International Church and Burlington Baptist Church. I mean, what a great experience for someone who's never been to Ipswich before. I said to the guys yesterday, my only connection with Ipswich um, was the very first girlfriend I ever had as a, as a 12-year-old. Moved away to Ipswich and broke my heart. <laughs> yes, her name was Jane if she's around. I won't mention her surname, just in case she is here. <laughs> you never know, do you? And I, what I'm loving about this church already is you've, you have finally created the perfect height lectern. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. I was in a, preaching in a church in Greece once, and uh, the, the normal preacher was obviously a lot taller than me. I actually had to get an orange box to stand on behind the lectern. So I'm grateful for small mercies. I'm married to Jenny. Um, we've been married 42 years, um, and we have four daughters and eight grandchildren. They say God's, it's God's blessing for not killing your children, giving your grandchildren, uh, which is absolutely true. We've got one of our children living with us at the moment uh, and her family, which is lovely. The house is full of chaos and noise and toys everywhere. I uh, love it. Absolutely love it. Now... This morning, I want to talk about something which I think is actually something that we are all looking for, something that you and I are both looking for. Just let me ask a quick, it's not a trick question, how many people want to be happy? Okay, okay. everybody wants to be happy, don't they? Everybody wants to be happy. But you know, the pursuit of happiness is like trying to grip hold of a bar of soap, and the tighter you grip hold of it, the more it pops out. And it's kind of one of those elusive things, isn't it? You think... I finally found the secret to happiness, and then, oh, it kind of disappears. In fact, the pursuit of happiness is actually a futile pursuit. The thing you think that will give you happiness never lasts, does it? You know, the new car, the better job, you know, the shiny house, the new kitchen, you know, the the latest TV box set, you know, that, that, that fine wine from Waitrose that you've been saving in the fridge for the last few weeks. You know, whatever it might be, whatever it is that we pursue that thinks will give us happiness, after a few days or weeks, it just evaporates. It has no value to you anymore because happiness is never sustained. The American culture, of course, idolizes and idealizes that pursuit. And uh, you may remember a film involving Will Garden, Will, Will Smith, sorry, and his young, his young son, Jaden, who played uh, a character called Garden in a, in a film called The Pursuit of Happiness. Anybody seen The Pursuit of Happiness? It's a great film. Recommend it. And he's there and he's poverty stricken. He's broken up with his, his partner and he's got his son and he's trying to get a job. He's trying to make a life for themselves. And the whole film is about his pursuit of the job and the wealth that will give him the happiness that he thinks he deserves. And the American Constitution, the the Declaration of Independence actually says that you know, we have this inalienable right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. 
And so, of course, you know, that culture affects all of Western culture today. Where somehow we think we have a right to be happy. But I tell you what, as believers, as children of God, we have something so much better than happiness. We have something that is enduring, something that is lasting. And it's called the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. And my title today is The Joy-Filled Life. The Joy-Filled Life. And that's one of my grandchildren called Penny. She just is full of the joy of life. And the joy-filled life is something that is attainable. It's something that is sustainable. It's something that can be a part of our experience every single day. Can you say amen to that? So why be miserable when you can have the joy of the Lord? And what I want to do today is very simply give you a few keys to this joy-filled life. That sound good? If you put these into practice, you I promise you, you will have a joy-filled life. Does that mean a life free from difficulty? No. Does it mean a life free from trial? No. It may even include suffering but it will be a life full of joy. Now, there's two, two extremes, we, uh, traps we can fall into with joy. One is to think that the joy-filled life is living on this continual cloud of ecstatic euphoria, you know, sort of, kind of caught up in the sort of heavenly places all day long. I'm sorry, the only place you get that is drugs, all right? Okay, and I don't recommend that, okay? Not a good idea. The other extreme is to think of the joy of the Lord as something... So very deep, so deep, it is never visible. You know, if the joy of the Lord doesn't break out on your face at regular intervals, it's probably not the joy of the Lord, and you need to find some. So my hope today is that I will help you find, discover, live in, sustain, and that the joy of the Lord becomes your lifestyle, a way that you live. Now, we've had a great passage read to us from Philippians. You know, Philippians is called the book of joy. Fifteen times it uses the word joy or rejoice. And in, con- in contrast to happiness, with the root of that word is to do with luck and chance. You, know, you may get lucky and be happy. You may have some nice circumstances and be happy. Joy is entirely different. Joy doesn't come from outside circumstances. It comes from within. This is where your source of joy is. It comes from God's Spirit living in you, breaking out of you, releasing and infecting others around you with joy. How many people like being around joyful people? Yeah, we do, don't we? Well, let's be those joyful people. You know, you, this place will be, you'll have people hanging off the rafters because there's no seats left. If people say, that's where you go and get joy. Wouldn't that be amazing? Or your household, your community, where you gather in your home, people down your street. Why are those guys always smiling? Why are they laughing? Why are they happy? You know, why even in the midst of, of miscarriage and, and divorce and losing jobs and, you know, problems and difficulties, they still seem to have joy. How is it? People will be flocking to your door. Sadly, Christians don't always have that reputation, do they? Okay, let's turn that around, guys. Okay, church, are you ready? Let's turn that around. Let's become people who live the joy-filled life. Did you know that Catholic saints, to be made a saint in the Catholic church, when they kind of look at the whole lifestyle of the person to decide whether or not they're going to be made a saint, you know, like St. Teresa or whatever it might be, 
there has to be proof of joy in their lives. Isn't that interesting? One of the hallmarks for a saint is you have to have joy. And I think that's true of saints today. We're all saints. There needs to be proof of joy. And of course, joy is not dependent on circumstance. Happiness is, joy is not. Because James, the brother of Jesus, said in James 1, 2, he says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Yeah. When life is difficult, count it joy. Because joy doesn't come from our circumstances. It comes from the Spirit of God within us. So I want to give you three joy breakers and three joy bringers. Are you ready? It's worth taking notes for this, guys, all right? If not, listen to the podcast. In fact, what you could do, because all of this stuff is in the passage that's been read to us. I don't have time to cross-reference all the points I'm making. It's all in there. And maybe in your small group or your community, you might want to have a look at this passage and say, well, let's try and find those six points. You may even get a seventh this morning, if you're lucky, of how we can get the joy-filled life. Number one, joy breaker. The number one joy breaker is anxiety. Anxiety. How many people have ever been anxious? You know, I still get anxious. I still sometimes wake up at three in the morning having had a bad dream and of all the things that might go wrong in my life. You know, anxiety is all about the anticipation of what might go wrong before it's ever happened. What a complete waste of energy. It's before it's ever happened. We waste so much time and energy on it. My wife used to be a bit of a worrier. She's loads better than she used to be. And I made this very cruel poster to put on the wall in our bedroom to remind her. And it simply said, why pray when you can worry? <laughs> I, I repented immediately. <laughs> it was such a cruel thing to say. But you know, we don't have to worry because instead of anxiety, instead of worry, we trust God. We put our trust in the God who is able to take care of every circumstance in our life. There is nothing too difficult for God. When Jenny and I got into half a million pounds of debt 10 years ago and thought life is about to end as we know it, when our church went, seemed to go down, down the plug hole for a, a period of time and 200 people left, we thought, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? You know, when we've, we had a failed building project and people were thinking we had no credibility anymore, all sorts of things went wrong. The local paper took against us and had a three-page spread, one, two, and three, trying to chase us out of town. You'd think... That would be enough to kill anyone. And it probably did push me pretty close to the edge. But I'll tell you what, I really learned to trust God in that time. Every day in my cellar, I would just worship and say, God, I need a word from you. I need to, if I'm going to survive, I've got to trust in you, Lord. I cannot do this by myself. I have to trust in you. I need a fresh word from you every day of my life. That bread, that manna that sustains me every day. Man does not live by bread alone, but by Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and his mercies are new every, every morning. I had to go down to my cellar, find a fresh bit of word, God's word that would sustain me through the day and put my trust in God. Anxiety is a joy. Have you ever tried to be anxious and joyful at the same time? It's impossible. The second one is this. The second joy breaker is anger. Have you ever tried to be angry and joyful at the same time? It just doesn't work, does it? And I, I find that so many Christians take offense. You know, we've got enough fences to stock a garden center, okay? 
so much offense in the body of Christ. Over the most silly little thing. Oh, the pastor didn't say hello to me this morning. He didn't smile at me. You know, when he was making that really stern point, he looked straight at me and, as though I was guilty somehow. Or maybe, you know, maybe so-and-so took the last biscuit on the plate and I was really wanting it. You know, it could be the silliest of things. The most trivial thing that we take offense. And that offense leads to anger. And that anger takes root in our heart. It becomes a root of bitterness that doesn't just spoil our lives. It defiles many, Hebrews says. Many people are spoiled by that, that anger. And what happens when we retain anger in our lives is the devil gets an opportunity. He gets a grip hold. You can't have joy when the devil's ruling in your life. Paul said to the Ephesians, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. What's the antidote to anger? It's forgiveness. It's not rocket science. We just need to live this life of forgiveness. Let it go. Forgive, let it go, and move on. It's a completely futile exercise, nurturing anger. You know, we somehow feel like we're more in control if we just hold on to that little bit of anger. You know, I'm not going to let them get the better of me. I'm going to retain that bit of anger. And somehow, you know, we think we're in control. It's the anger that's in control, guys. It's the devil that's in control. And we lose the joy. Number three, third joy broker is this. It's what I've called, for the sake of the A, alliteration, uh, I call this alternatives. We look at alternatives for happiness rather than to the Lord for joy. And where do we look? You know, we look at those things that bring us comfort and satisfaction. You know, it could be something as harmless as, as nature. It could be something as harmless as a TV box set. It could be something you know, as harmless as a new sofa for our front room. But if that's where we're looking for happiness, we will not find joy. Because the more of that stuff, those alternatives that we go to to make us feel better, what happens is this. It numbs our joy center. This little joy center down here starts to feel unimportant. It starts to feel, well, he's not not looking to me anymore for his joy. He's finding his happiness out there. It may, be in, it may be in wrong relationships. It could be in sexual encounters. You know, it could be in drugs or alcohol. It could be things that are overtly harmful. Wherever it is, whatever the alternatives are, we will not experience joy when we're looking in the wrong places. Joy comes from the Lord. Will you say that with me? Joy comes from the Lord. And we get joy from both dealing with the joy breakers and embracing the joy bringers. So what are the three or four joy bringers? You're going to have to pray for me if you want the fourth one this morning. Okay, the first joy bringer is positivity. Romans 12.2 says this, don't be conformed to this world. All those alternative stuff out there where people go to, the go-to places for worldly happiness. Don't be conformed by this world, but be transformed, metamorphu, transformed completely changed in substance by the renewing of your mind. Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, says, we are transformed as we gaze upon the image of the Lord, being transformed from one degree of glory to another, to becoming more like Him. And we can think like Him, We can act like him. We can be like him because we're being transformed into his image through the renewing of our mind. So our mind needs to get on the same page 
as Jesus. And it starts by recognizing who God is. Because when we understand who God is, we will start to think in the light of who God is. We will start to speak in the light of who God is. We'll recognize who we are, what is true of us in the light of who God is because we are made in his image. So when we recognize that God is good and he will provide everything that we need for life and godliness, he will supply us, he will satisfy us with goodness, with his favor, then we realize we don't need to go looking elsewhere because he's good and our life is satisfied by that goodness. We don't need to look elsewhere. When we recognize he is great, he's the great God who is in control of everything, for whom nothing is too difficult, no thing is too difficult for God, then I don't need to be in control anymore. I don't need to have to be micromanaging my life. A bit of organization never helps, but I don't need to be micromanaging, worried about every little thing. I don't need to be in control because God is great. And I say, God, you're great. God, you're amazing. I can trust in you because of your greatness. When we recognize that God is gracious, that he is able to accept and love us and embrace us as we are. I'm so glad he takes so glad he takes us as we are, aren't you? I'm so glad of that. I could never qualify to be good enough for God, neither could you. And if you're here today as someone who doesn't know Jesus, then you don't have to qualify to be good enough to follow Jesus. You just have to let him embrace you and love you, forgive you, and welcome you into his family and to the, the journey of being a follower. I don't have to prove myself when I realize God is so gracious because my mind is now being renewed by a knowledge of who God is and what is now true of me in the light of that because I'm made in his image. I love what Paul says when he writes to the Thessalonians. He says, rejoice, how often? Once a week? Oh, oh, always, every day, all the time. Rejoice, always. Pray, occasionally without ceasing, and in a few things, give thanks? No, in everything, give thanks. Do you know, what my takeaway from this morning is, I found it in your toilet. It's a sign on your hand dryers. This blessed me so much. You know, I hate a slow hand dryer. Drives me witless. I think, come on, blow the air out faster. We know that these hand dryers are frustratingly slow. Can we invite you to pause, take a deep breath, and think of a few things you are thankful to God for? (laughs) Hopefully by now your hands are nearly dry. (laughs) I just think that is genius. I'm taking that away. Those are going on every slow dryer I come across. In everything, give thanks. And what a moment, an opportunity when you're waiting for a flipping slow dryer. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You are so good, so wonderful. You love me. You know, you care for me. You provide for me. You know, you've given me a home and I thank you for my job. And oh, my hands are dry. (laughs) In everything, because that attitude, that gratitude attitude fuels a positive mindset filled with a knowledge of who God is brings joy. It brings joy. Number two is people. People. God's intention is that we would not be alone. Do you know the only thing that God created that he said wasn't good? Do you know what it was? It was Adam before Eve was created. He said it's not good that man should be alone. He knew that man without woman would be a hopeless basket case. Is that true, ladies? Absolutely true. 
I don't know where I'd be without my wife. Lost. We need people around us. And God's design was that we would be surrounded by people, hopefully other joy-filled people, because that's, you know, joy is like this sort of, you know, virtuous circle of increasing happiness because we surround ourselves with joy, we radiate joy, and joy is infectious. It's the best virus you can ever catch. People, people who share life together, people who open their homes and include others. Here's a great quote from Mother Teresa. You, no one, no one argue, argues with Mother Teresa, do they? Mother Teresa said this, the problem with the world is this, we draw the circle of our family too small. Mm. The problem with the world is this, we draw the circle of our family too small. You see, the early church, if you read Acts chapter 2, we were talking about this earlier, they understood this life on life, in and out of each other's homes, sharing their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. That's what Acts 2 says. They were sharing life together. Do you know that word gladness? It literally means extreme joy. Can you imagine extreme joy at every mealtime? It's not always like that in our house, I have to say. But, you know, that joy that's bubbling up because you're sharing life, you're sharing food. Do you know the meal table is one of the greatest places for shared life and joy? And, you know, so many people don't have a, a dining table in their homes today. And maybe, maybe they don't have room. If you, if you have room and you don't have a table, pray for one. Believe God for one. Because around the table is one of the places of greatest joy. Do you know, it's said that in Luke's gospel, Jesus was always either on his way to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. And it's probably fairly true. And do you know what? That meal wasn't just with the holy, holy people, was it? It was with sinners. He included all sorts of people. When he sat at the table, he was with all different kinds of people. And we need to open our homes, open our meal tables, open our that space where we can connect with people, Christians and non-Christians, seekers and non-seekers, those who love Jesus and those who are trying to find Jesus. Because the meal table is where so much happens. Do you know there are three phrases in the Gospels that talk about what the Son of Man came to do? They all start with this phrase, the Son of Man came for one reason or another. I'm going to give you all three, but the first one is the most surprising. You may never have spotted it or thought that it's unusual, but it's in Matthew 11, and it says this, the Son of Man came, doesn't say, you know, to bring justice to the world or to, you know, to bring world peace or, you know, all those things that Miss World Competition candidates say. You know, he didn't come for that. It says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Wow, I can do that. That's not so hard, is it? We just have to open some space for that to happen. Open our meal tables. You know, a number of folks in our church have what we called oikosified their homes. That is, they've extended their eating areas so they can get a bigger table, have more people around the table, because that's where the life of God often happens. That's where the joy of God often breaks out around food and drink. I love this quote from Nehemiah when they'd finished rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Then Ezra and Nehemiah read the law together. And uh, it says, Nehemiah said, go celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. Clearly hadn't got today's healthy eating messages. Go celebrate with a, a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share, listen to this, share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. Include other people. Always cook enough for extras at the table. Jenny has done that all of our married life. 
Share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. Don't be dejected or sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's where that scripture comes from. In the context of feasting and including others who have nothing. That's where the joy of God bubbles up. Number three, and here we move on to the other two son of mans. The son of man also came to serve, Matthew 18. And Matthew, uh, Luke 19, verse 10, the son of man also came to seek and save that which was lost. Because the son of man came with purpose. At the end of Luke 4, he says, I must go and preach this good news to other places as well, for I was sent for this purpose. He came with purpose. And that's the third P. It's about positivity through the renewing of our minds. It's around people where we share around the meal table. And it's around purpose, a missional purpose that God gives us as the greatest blessing of our lives. And if we fail to find his missional purpose, we're missing out on one of the greatest sources of joy. And we start to focus in on ourselves. It's one of the reasons why we start to get crotchety with each other and grumpy with one another. Because we've failed to discover there's a whole purpose out there waiting for us to discover. Two questions to ask. Just note these down. Don't have time to talk about it. Two questions to ask. To whom am I called to be a good news person? And with whom am I called to be a good news person? That will define your mission and define your community, if you can answer those two questions. Because God sends us out as extended families on mission together. But it's in discovering our purpose that we find joy. And some of the most joy-filled times that I've had in recent years have been prayer walking and bumping into people and discovering people of peace and getting involved in their lives and their families as doors have opened. Stavros and Vincenzo opened a, 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 a... coffee shop and restaurant on the high street and they welcome me into their hearts. I've been able to pray with them and pray with some of their family members who have been really struggling because they're looking for good news. They want good news. Another couple of girls on the high street have opened a beauty shop. They're lovely girls and they've just opened their hearts to us because they're looking for good news. They want to know what is this thing that makes your life tick, that gives you joy. A guy who works, Tony, who works for us in, in our frontline building doing all the DIY work, had a spiritual conversation with him one day. He said, would you like to, to know Jesus more? I said, yes, I would. And just to sit down with him, have a cup of coffee with him, teaching him how to pray, teaching him how to read the Bible. He's, he's never made a commitment to follow Christ yet, but he's growing as a disciple. You know, these are the most joy-filled moments of my life because I'm connecting with a sense of God's purpose. And if you want the fourth P, I will give it to you for no extra cost. It's the presence of the Lord. Psalm 16 says, in his presence is fullness of joy. So in summary, let me say this. If we want a joy-filled life, if we want the lifestyle of joy, then we need to be on a journey of discipleship minds being renewed, in the context of family, sharing around the table, for the purpose of mission, knowing where we're sent, with the presence of God. Can you say amen to that? I'm going to ask you to do something. Uh, You may or may not have done this at the end of a Sunday service. You probably have. But I'm going to ask you just to take a moment to reflect, to listen to the quiet voice of the Holy Spirit and ask him, what are you saying to me today, Lord? What is it that you want me to do differently? Just one thing. 
take a moment to think about that and just listen to the quiet voice in your heart.